I'm going to be looking this morning as we continue through this HGC, our plan, um, and I want to start by, by reading our text for this morning. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to wrap this whole series up in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. So once you turn there in your copy of God's Word, if you would stand with me as we read this text together. I'll read it, and you can, yeah. We're working on clear communication, all right, guys? Don't want to confuse anyone. First Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 7, says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. We thank You that uh, You are so good. We thank You that death has lost its grip because of the power of Jesus Christ in the resurrection. Father, we thank you that we can spend time as your family, your bride, gathered together, beautifully adorned by the cross, sanctifying us. And Father, I just pray this morning that you would be honored and glorified by all that's said and done. Would you sanctify your word? Would you cleanse us this morning? We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. I mentioned what is the purpose. I want to kind of bring us all together and kind of walk through this uh, text a little bit and, and give some, some wrap-up to the series of, of the vision and values. You know, we throw those terms out. What is the vision and values of the church? It's why we exist. It's, it's how we're going to, to uh, accomplish these things. And I, and I mentioned our goal, our purpose is to bring glory to the Father. It's done when the church behaves the way God intends it to behave. We're seeking here at HGC to, to, to do that. Um, we're seeking at HGC to become more and more like Christ in, in His image and to act and behave in such a way that as we continue to walk, people would see the church and not be like, man, that church has got it all together, or man, that church is awesome, but to say, wow, God is doing an incredible work. That's our goal. It's, it's not that we fill the building so that, you know, there was a season where I remember when, when we made some changes and, and uh, people would drive by and say, man, there's something going on at that church because the parking lot is full all the time. Man, that kind of stirs up your emotions. It gets you really excited. You're like, yeah, there's something cool going on. That's not our purpose. That's not our goal. The goal is to bring glory to the Father. And, and we, we do that by our plan that we've kind of put together. And I'm going to be reiterating this probably for the rest of my life because the Lord has really hammered this on my heart that, that we do this by one being gospel defined, 
that we are a church that has been formed because the gospel has redeemed us and it, it is the word of God that proclaims that truth and so we are gospel defined. We focus on the word that all of our teaching comes from the word. We do that by being gospel driven as a family. Remember we talked last week about how if the gospel is real, it's one thing to believe it, it's another thing to experience it and we need to carry that experience uh, into our, our, our life as a family, as a church family where we could be a place that that says man not only do they believe the gospel but they express the gospel they exude the gospel they practice the gospel they create a safe environment where i can come and i can confess my sins to one another without fear of shame or guilt but i can grow in my faith because of the gospel the same mercy that i have received i can pass on that same grace and this week we want to talk about not just gospel defined, not just gospel driven, but gospel declaring by the work that we are doing. That when people see the work that is happening, not our work, but the Holy Spirit's work, not just the work of our hands, but the work of the Holy Spirit moving through us, that, that the reality is in our service, both to one another here within the local body, but also in our service to the community and to the world around us, to our, to our environment, to those who we come in contact on a daily basis, when they see that, it is evident through our actions, through our thoughts, through our words that the gospel is real to us, and we thus declare the gospel. So what does a gospel-declaring servanthood look like? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So we're going to wrap this all up, that we would bring glory to the Father by our work. Ephesians 2.10. You know, we love to quote Ephesians 2 with that passage that we are uh, saved by grace alone, through faith, not of ourselves. And, and we kind of sometimes leave out Ephesians 2.10 where it says that we are His workmanship created for good works. So we are redeemed and we are brought into this incredible family and then we have a responsibility to declare the gospel through our words and through our works. So I want to look through this passage. Peter is writing to a suffering church and he's explaining to them how to walk through suffering as a first generation church experiencing suffering and, and, he, and he comes to this passage which I think is an incredible passage about how the church ought to work together and to work um, for the glory of the gospel declaring Christ. And so we start in, in, in verse 7, and I want to start by saying that I want to give us a reason that Paul lays out for us of why we do this. He says, the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. There is a reason here that we must acknowledge. Why does all this matter as we talk? Why do I need to preach a sermon on the work that we have? What is the, the reason for it? Why do we need to, to walk through this? Well, the reason is, here's our motivation, our glory, our, our declaration is the glory of the Father. And the first thing Peter says to the suffering church is this, the end of all things is at hand. There's a reason that we need to put in our minds and keep in, 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 in hand. It, it means that, one, time is limited. It's limited. James talks about this in James chapter 4, verse 14. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. 
The psalmist says that the years of life are 70 maybe, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and they fly away. I don't want this to be a morbid thing, but it's a reality that our heartbeat is a constant reminder It's a drumbeat of a death march that one day it will cease. It will end. And so Peter looks to this church that's suffering. He says, I want you guys to remember something. The end of all things is at hand. It's it's there. It's present. It's coming. It's a reality. It's a reason that we must understand that time is limited. And then the second aspect of that that we should think of is that we have a responsibility, don't we? If time is at hand, if time is limited, we have a responsibility. Jesus told us that responsibility. He says in Matthew chapter 28, before his his last words, as he leaves his disciples, the foundation of the church, he says, guys, here's your responsibility. Go out into all the world and make disciples of every nation, teaching them to observe the things that I have commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is your responsibility. Again, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he gives the same thing is he appears before his his disciples and then he uh, ascends into heaven he says but you shall be my witnesses both in jerusalem and judea and to the uttermost parts of the world witnesses of what what god has done the gospel and that job has been passed on And why I want us to consider this is when Peter says the end of all things is at hand and we consider that time is limited and we consider that we have a responsibility, we need to start putting in our mind this very thought. The thought is this, everything else is secondary. And at some point it is vanity. Ecclesiastes, the preacher, proclaims all is vanity. What good is a man's toil? He lives and he does all these things for all of his life and then he dies and it ceases to be important. I think so oftentimes, and, and, and you know, one of the things I struggle with, I'm going to bear myself this morning. It's not in my notes. I hate when I go off script because then I usually have to apologize later. But, um, you know, one of the things that was just driving me crazy, so I've been working on these, these, these Spartan race things, and I'm exercising, I've spent, you know, all year working on it, and, and uh, I hang up this climbing rope in my yard to work on climbing, and my brother, who hasn't done any exercise in probably 10 years, he goes and he's like, oh, cool, and he climbs the rope, goes all the way to the top. I can't even get up like two feet on this rope. And as I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about other things, yesterday I went running, and it was an awful running experience. I was... It might have had something to do with the fact the night before I had three hot dogs, but that's neither here nor there. But, you know, I'm looking at all these things. I feel like I'm losing in, in life and these things, and, and it's all vanity. It literally means nothing in the day that I die. It may not increase the length of my life at all. Brothers and sisters, your days are numbered no matter whether you eat the right thing, all of the I'm not saying go out and eat junk food, okay? Just use common sense here. All is vanity except this fact that God is to be glorified and we are called to the gospel. Don't go home and say, Pastor Nate said I can eat 12 donuts a day. That's not what I'm saying. But everything else must be secondary. Because why? Why? Is it important that we be gospel declaring in our servanthood? The end of all things is at hand. That's a reason. There's also a reality in this. 
Reality that we must keep in mind, and it's very important as a principle, we are naturally bent towards selfishness. We are naturally bent towards selfishness. I, I remember when my wife and I went on a marriage retreat, um, one of the, the speakers said something that has forever changed my premarital counseling whenever I've done it, and, and he says, look at your, your spouse, you are now looking at the second most selfish person in the face of the earth. Like, man, that's pretty harsh. It's not looking in a mirror, you're looking at the most selfish person. Our hearts are naturally bent towards self. The heart knows what it wants. The heart is deceitfully weak, w- wicked. And really, when you consider it, countless warnings in Scripture, don't be selfish, don't be selfish. In fact, in 1 Peter, and we're going to talk about this here in just a little bit, he says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Why so many warnings about selfishness? Why so many things? Uh, Proverbs chapter 21 tells us every way of a man is right. How? In his own eyes. Selfishness, it is the bend of the heart. It is the very essence in the heart of sin, is it not? It's not is that not the reason why mankind sinned from the very beginning? They said, I want to be like God. I want, I want, I, I, I. I want to be careful here. Again, I'm going off script. But I find it amazing the things that become so uh, popular in the Christian circles nowadays now it's been a while but remember that prayer of Jabez I'm not saying it's unbiblical but I find it fascinating that it mentions the word I seven times I I I I the heart is naturally bent towards selfishness and there's a progression that we find throughout scripture that the warnings it only is going to get worse In 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, hey, here's what the end times is going to look like. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be what? Lovers of self. Jesus looked at his disciples and he says, the end times are coming. Matthew 24, verse 12, he says, and because lawlessness will be increased, The love of many will grow cold. Over and over again, brothers and sisters, the end is at hand. And guess what? Selfishness is at the very heart and core of humanity, and it's only going to get worse. It takes about three seconds to watch the news to realize that. And there's a picture in all of this. This is the reality, and this is why it's so important. This is why it's important to remember the reason that the end is at hand. Because the reality is, our behavior as a body of believers in a dark and weary and dreary, growing cold place can declare the gospel that much brighter. That as people become more cynical, that as people become more self-centered, that as people become more lovers of self, that when the church says, I will serve you, and I will serve, and I will sacrifice self on the altar of Jesus in order to serve others, we become a bright and blazing picture of the gospel. 
And there is a reality there that we ought to consider that as Paul, or Peter says, the end is at hand, and, and there is a response that Peter says. A couple of things, and we're going to walk through these. He says, and the end of all things is at hand, therefore, therefore, number one, be self-controlled. Two, be sober-minded that your prayers, for the sake of your prayers, for Above all, keep on loving one another earnestly since love covers over a multitude of sins. Five, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And last, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. We're going to walk through these. I think I got five of them. Number one, he says, be self-controlled in a world where there is literally zero self-control, where we can instantly be gratified and, and satis- or not even satisfied, but we can find things instantly online. You know, we, we live in the day and age where Amazon, I mean, I don't know about you, but I get irritated when my two-day prime shipping doesn't arrive or it arrives on the third day and I'm calling up Amazon and saying, hey, you need to extend my membership or do something to reward me for your lateness. We need to start considering what is self-control. It's amazing that this is a gift of the Holy Spirit, self-control, because we really don't have self-control. But Peter says, hey, the end of all things is at hand, and it is essential to you as brothers and sisters that as we proclaim the glory of the Father, as we begin to display the gospel before one another and before the world that is self-centered, we need to understand the importance to take the offensive in regards to our selfish hearts and learn to say no to our overindulgences. We have to learn to say no to our overindulgences. Be self-controlled because it is, it is spirit-controlled. It is saying that my life does not revolve around self, but it revolves around God and His glory. That's not an easy thing to do. It's, it's, it's attacking the very heart and nature of myself and my sinfulness. So be self-controlled. Then he says, be sober-minded. What does he mean? He says, take this job seriously. The end is at hand. The end is is at hand, and we ought to be as a church taking church sober-mindedly. Life isn't just a pleasure cruise that we are on till we get to the next destination. How do we be sober-minded when it comes to the church, when we talk about uh, uh, serving and when we talk about the work? How do we be sober-minded? I think there's a couple of things. Number one, we need to be present. We need to be present. We need to, to, to not just show up, but we need to be mentally and, and, and intellectually engaged with one another. We need to be present within one another's lives. We need to be a part of each other. You know, we talk about the church fellowship. Last week we talked about this idea of a family. Well, you can't be a family if you're absent. I can't tell you how many times I get in trouble with my, my children because they're coming up to me and sharing something they're super excited about, but I'm thinking about five other things. I am not present. I may be there, but I am not present. And I think through that, and I think about when my children, which are getting older, I'm one year removed from a teenager in my house. 
That as they get older, I'm thinking through that, and I'm thinking, man, was I present up until now? And will I be present until time has faded and they are gone? Brothers and sisters, the same can be said about the family here. If we are not present in one another's lives, not just be present, but be a participant. Be practical. Understand that these things that are going on, we need to take it seriously because there is a day and age, the time is at hand, there is a day and age where this may not be allowed. And I want us to set the mindset. I think it's interesting that, that as Peter is talking to the church and he's talking to them about suffering, he starts with things that have to do with mental preparation. He says, be, be uh, self-controlled. Think through. Sacrifice. It is not about me. It is about the work of God. Be sober-minded. Take it seriously. Don't just... L- uh, uh, lackadaisically go through life, but, but understand. And he says, be sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. So that you can know what to pray for. So that you can know how to pray. If we aren't sober-minded in our, in our uh, relationships with one another, how do we know what to pray for? How do we know? Are we even praying for one another? Are we praying for the things that we ought to be praying for? James says, you have not because you ask not, and when you ask, you ask amiss. Why? Because we're not sober-minded in our consideration of this walk of life. So he says, be, be, be self-controlled, be sober-minded, be loving. Anytime you see in Scripture, and I've mentioned this before, 1 Peter 4, 8 is an incredible verse. Anytime you see something that says, above all, you ought to be paying attention. Above all. In other words, this is hyper important. This is super important. Above all, what does he say? Keep loving one another earnestly. In some translations, it says, have fervent love for one another. We can fight this world's cynicism, this world's coldness, this world's darkness with love. Above all, it's our first priority. You notice what he says? He says it covers a multitude of sins. It's not just simply glossing over sin. It's not, it's not you sin against me, I'm just going to love over that. No, but there's also, there's, there, there is an aspect of I'm going to be able to forgive and I'm be able to walk through that because of love. But there's also another aspect that if we are truly loving towards one another as a body, it prevents sin, does it not? That if I am loving uh, somebody fervently, my brother, I am not going to be uh, envious and gossiping about him and, and, and speaking slanderous things because I love him. It actually prevents things. If we truly love one another as Jesus calls us to, we will forgive one another. If we truly love one another as Jesus calls us to love as He has demonstrated, we will serve one another. If we truly love as Jesus has called us to love, we will sacrifice for one another. If we truly love as Jesus has called us to love, We will not sin against one another. Be loving. Be sober-minded. Be self-controlled. Show hospitality 
talked about this a little bit last week as we talked through the one another's and this covenant idea, this relationship building together. But I find it interesting that in this little list here that Peter is saying, he's saying, hey, the end of all things is coming. And, and the, so what if you if you sat through and you're thinking to have a communication with your children, you thought, you know, the if, if I knew that the end was coming, what are the four or five things I would tell my children as lasting bits of advice? And this is what's fascinating to me. Peter says, be self-controlled, be sober-minded, be loving, and show hospitality. Show hospitality to one another. This is fascinating to me because it keeps popping up in the one another. Show hospitality. If we are to be about the work of, of Christ and displaying the gospel, we need to be hospitable. It keeps us close to one another in fellowship. You know, Mike mentioned we have all these things, not because we just want to fill our calendars, but because being together as a family is not just important, it is vital and essential to the work of Christ. It is absolutely necessary. I mentioned again last week that there is, I believe, a direct tie between the uh, the concept of the principle of, of our ownership and anger, that if we talk about hospitality, we talk about our homes, the Lord gave us our homes, who are we to hold on to those with a closed fist and say, I'm not going to open these up for the, whatever the Lord has designed and what the Lord calls to. And I find it interesting that whenever I hold on to something and say, God, this is mine, He either rips it out of my hands or he damages it beyond recognition to say, that's not yours, it's mine, and I gave it to you. And we're called to show hospitality, and I find it interesting, he adds a little caveat to show hospitality, how? Without grumbling. I had 40 people come to my house this weekend, family members, right? Big family reunion. And for the last couple of years, I have done it with grumbling and complaining. You know why? And this is so silly, because they ruined my yard. I don't have that great a yard, okay? If you ever come to my house, I have like uh, three acres in the woods, and so we have pine needles and, and uh, leaves everywhere all the time. I don't have that pretty a yard, and right now I have a couple of ponds apparently in my yard. But um, they, they come, and they ruin my yard, and you know what? I love my relatives, and I'm glad that they come. But we have to do it without grumbling and complaining because it's a hard attitude. And if we're doing it with grumbling and complaining, are we really showing hospitality? The last thing that Peter mentions here, and we'll spend the, the rest of our time looking at it because I think it is so essential. When we talk about the work of the church as a whole. We talk about our plan. We say HGC, our desire at Highland Gospel Community is to be a fellowship that brings glory to the Father. And we say our plan to do that is by being gospel-defined, gospel-driven, and gospel-declaring. And we walk through these things that we just walked through. These are the way that we set our hearts and minds in order to do the very thing that the church is called to do, which is to declare the gospel through our work. And, and notice what Peter says here. There's some very important practical principles the fifth thing he says is this to do the work use your gift use your gift three things in regards to this from this text i want us to see number one everyone has been given something 
You cannot sit here today as a child of God, as a believer, and say, I have no gift to offer. If you do, that is a lie from the pit of hell. The Holy Spirit present in you has gifted you in incredible ways. And notice what Peter says. He says, uh, as each has received a gift, as each has received a gift, you have been gifted something. Over and over again in scriptures, we find this truth to be, to be present. Romans chapter 12, verse 6, Paul, in speaking to the Romans, talking about the church and its importance, he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Everyone has been given something. If you don't know what it is, you should be striving to figure it out. It really usually, the other thing is, it's really usually not too hard to figure out. You know why? Because God gifts us things that become our passion. And if you are passionate about something, the odds are God has gifted you and equipped you for that. He gives us a passion to it. And you know what? If you can't figure it out, ask your friends. Ask your brothers and sisters in this room because I bet they know what it is because they can see it in you. And I bet if you did, you'd find that they would say, yeah, you're really passionate about that and you're really good at it. And it's not a skill, but it's a gift that God has given us. So he says, everyone has been given something. As each has received a gift, then notice what he says. He says, use it to serve one another. Not using your gift for the Lord is two things. It is selfish and it is sinful. I'm not saying these things to to hammer on us and to shame, but it's true. Not using your gift is selfish. It is keeping back from the whole body what God gave you to share. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 8. He says, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. I've got the wrong verse here. I'm sure it was an awesome verse. It comes from 1 Corinthians 12. I bet we can find it. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking to the church of Corinth and how he says that everyone is different. Everyone has been gifted differently, and there is a reason for that gifting. And to keep it back is to hinder. Verse 18 says in 1 Corinthians 12, But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. That you have been gifted in an incredible way. Why? So that you can share and so that you can use that gift so that the, the body can be the body. And if one part, Paul talks about over and over again, if one part doesn't do it, one of my favorite verses in regards to the church comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. It says that the whole body grows in love when, there's a key word there, when each one of the members or each part works properly. Think about that. 
How do we do the work to bring glory to the Father? How do we do the work? We are not gifted enough individually to be what God intends the whole to be. That is so important. There are many people that say, I'm a believer, I I believe the gospel, and I get all this thing, but I don't get what church is. Well, let me tell you what church is. It is a collection of individuals whom God gifted in such a way that when we come together, we form this incredible and beautiful picture of the gospel. And only when we come together and work together, and it is selfish if we have been gifted to say, I have nothing to offer, and I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. You should not come to church and think, what am I going to get out of this? You should come to church saying, how can I be a blessing and serve one another? Because Paul, Peter says here that as each has received a gift, use it to serve, not yourself, not a specific one, but to serve one another. The church comes together to do this, and not only is it selfish, it is sinful. We are given gifts in the body to interact together, to be a whole unit, to function at optimum performance. And to not use it is to hinder and handicap and even undermine the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I'm passionate about this because we work together so much greater than as individuals. And that's what the church is about. The church isn't about me, the pastor, standing before you and proclaiming truth each and every week. It is about us together working for the gospel for the glory of God. And we do that best when we come and we say, here's the gift I have to offer. And it is not my gift, but it is what God has given me. And notice what Peter says. He does. Do this, why? As good stewards. As good stewards. He doesn't give us these gifts to waste away. But he says, I want you and you and you and you to be this church and you're all very different and you're all going to bring your individual gifts so that together as a whole you're going to be this beautiful thing. And he calls the local churches a pocket here, a pocket there, and a pocket over here. And he says, this group here, you guys can accomplish what I have sought to accomplish through you because I'm going to equip each and every one of you differently. And so he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. We have a work to do, brothers and sisters, and that is to proclaim the gospel both in word and deed. As each received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. It is good stewardship of God's varied grace. And then notice what he says. He he gives us some examples. He says, whoever speaks, speak as one who speaks the very oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything... And this is the result, brothers and sisters. This is the purpose. This is the function of the church. This is why we do it. So Peter, looking at his, this church that is going through suffering, and he, and he looks at him, he says, the joy that you will have unspeakable and full of glory is when you understand the function that Christ has given to you because he has redeemed you and he's equipped you and he has gifted you. Now go and use it. And he says that when you do, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The more selfless and serving toward one another the church is, the more stark the contrast will be and the more illuminating the gospel will be as the world becomes more selfish, cynical, and filled with hatred and rage. That when when, when we have a world that says, I want me, 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 me. How can I be 
pleasured? How can I be satisfied? How can I, I, I? And the church comes out and says, no, how can we give to you? How can we serve you? How can we wash your feet? How can we pray for you? Imagine the stark contrast in a dark world. And what does that do? It points to God the Father. And it says we are transformed by a living hope because of Jesus Christ. And it points to His glory. God is glorified when the church is the gospel in action, serving one another, giving to one another. So how do we do this? I want to speak very practically for, for three points of how do we do this. And I think if we can practice these things, if we can put these things into our heart, into the very core of who we are as a body, if we can do this, I think it will radically transform. Number one, select others instead of self. Mentally, emotionally, select others instead of self. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, he says to them in this incredibly beautiful passage, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But, this is like a, a mantra in our house because we struggle with it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not unto his own interest, but to the interest of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours, did you hear that? Which is yours. You have it. You, you have this, the mind of Christ. When you become a believer, you are implanted with the very mind of Christ. You have the ability to stop being selfish and to think of others. Stop thinking about you. Stop complaining about what you don't like and do something about it. Oh, how the church would drastically change if we could do this as a body of Christ instead of complaining about what this brother does against that brother or how they're doing it wrong or how, how leadership is failing in this. Do something about it in love. Think of others as more important than yourselves. If we did that as a body of Christ, and I'm not just talking about locally here, but universally, man, it would transform. Stop being selfish and start offering ourselves. When I was in school in, in Minneapolis, uh, one of the things that our, uh, my mentor always said that I so appreciated, he talked about how uh, the, 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 there was a church down the road that they, they had this banner, and it always says, um, uh, come and get your needs met. That's what the world wants. But the reality is the body of Christ should have as its mantra, come and meet the needs of others. Select others instead of self. Number two, reflect the very heart of God. We are the living testimony of trans li transformed lives by the gospel of grace. Live out the gospel. What is the gospel that Christ came to save sinners? That He lived a perfect and holy life. And he said, what I offer is for you who believe that the reality is that, that there were uh, sin in our life because of, of 
disobedience that, that Romans clearly tells us in Romans chapter 3 that the very heart and nature of humanity is, is lies, venom, and deceit. It's not a pretty picture. If you want to read it sometime, Romans 3 verses 9 through about 20, it talks about the, the horrible wickedness of the human heart and, and how we uh, are deserving of utter death and damnation. And over and over again, you find in Scripture, Romans chapter 3 verse uh, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of of God and 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 Romans 6:23 tells us therefore the wages of that is death this is the picture of reality that that humanity has has faced uh, uh, destruction and death because it has transgressed it has violated God's law not they have I think that's what we do so oftentimes Adam and Eve sinned they did it no we have we have, and we are guilty. And here's the good news of the gospel, that Christ said, I will come and take your punishment. I will die as payment for what you deserve. And then he conquered sin and death and rose from the dead. And now we are to reflect that in our hearts and actions and words and deeds. Select others instead of self. Reflect the heart of God. And third, Deflect personal glory and gain. Oh, this is hard for me. There is nothing sweeter than hearing self-praise or to hear praise from other people about how good I am. And I'm pretty good. Yeah. But that's not what we're called to. I love what Josh read for us as we started this sermon, the series, uh, the, the, this morning. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Ephesians 2.10, we mentioned, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul, in talking to the Corinthians, he says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, and listen to how you, know, you could take this to the nth degree. Whatever you do, whether, it is, it is, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. There is nothing we do that is actually because of us. There is nothing we do as a church that we accomplish and we get done and we like, man, we did this so great. But we are to point to Christ in our words and our actions. We want to be a church that proclaims the glory of God. We want to be a church that is, that is what God intends us to be by being an active participant, by serving one another, by using the gifts that God has given because He has intended the family to do good things. And He has brought us together with varying gifts and talents and skills that He says, this collection will be for my glory and my good. We want to be gospel-defined as a people called out by the gospel to be His special people. We want to be gospel-driven as a family that is devoted to one another. We want to be gospel-declaring by serving selflessly with the gifts He has given us in a dark and cold world to the glory of the Father. And I hope and pray that, that as we leave from here, you can be encouraged with this. And we can try all we want, but it's the Holy Spirit that does the work. That transforms our hearts, that transforms our minds. That we are renewed by Him, by the, 
the glory of the gospel. And I hope that you can leave here today with, with a reminder of the good gospel that we have. That the gospel transforms lives. And it's an incredible thing. And in all of that, you know, we could sit here and, and, and you know, we could, I, could, I could say, you know, we need to do better at this and, and, and fill us with shame and guilt for things that we aren't doing or aren't accomplishing, but that does no good. Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, you know what, I have gifts and talents and I've never used them. Well, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, it's about time you get it. Get up now and do something. I'm just going to say this. If you feel that, confess it before the Lord and then start using it. Don't linger. Don't linger in shame. The gospel is this, that we have been redeemed from the curse of sin and the burden is taken away. So get up. The righteous man might fall, but you know what makes him righteous? He gets up each time. We don't live in shame and wallow in self-pity. We move on with the gospel of good news that God has gloriously redeemed His people. So let's be the church. I love that video. I didn't get a chance to watch all of it. I watched some of it. I love the video because it is a reminder of who we are. But here's the beauty of it. We're not finished. But I know this, that what God has begun, He will be faithful to bring to completion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You We thank You that we have been given the privilege to be the church. A people called out from a darkness into a marvelous light. A special people, a royal priesthood. Sons and daughters of the King. Father, I thank You for my brothers and sisters here that are each equipped and gifted in incredible ways. Father, I thank You that it is not one individual, but it is many members. Father, I thank You that in humility we can come before one another and say that we collectively are the body of Christ. It's not about our personality, it's not about our talents, but it's about Jesus Christ who has redeemed us and brought us together. So, Father, I pray that you would bless us this morning, that we can go out and do the work that you have called us to do, for we are your workmanship created for good works. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.